Father's Day, you remember when your kids were little and, you know, before I threw my kids up in the air, a distance that always made my wife uncomfortable. Um, do you have to throw them so far, you know? I'd always, you know, pretend they were a rocket, you know, just kind of count down from 10, then throw them up and ah, catch them. What's the word they always say immediately? Again, thank you. Again. Again. Five, six times in, dad's like, oh. dad's dying. It's been me. Peekaboo. Like we just did this. You know I'm here. Nope. Do it again. Do it again. How? How? How, how did you forget it was me? It was you again. How'd that happen? Again. Again. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Um, G.K. Chesterton, author of Yesteryear, um, wrote about this in relation to God. And this is what he said. Because, and I'll translate a little bit. Because children have abounding vitality. Because they are fierce in spirit and free, they want things repeated and unchanged. And they always say, do it again. (laughs) And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but never has gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. And this is the line I love. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. In his holiness, in his sinlessness, he doesn't get bored with the same thing like we do. He is forever young. I guess Bob Dylan had it right, yeah. (laughs) Again, again, he says every day, again, again. Come to a a psalm where that's prayed, and I, oh my, I just, I found myself this week asking, how confident do I feel praying and asking God? Do it again, God. Do it again. Um, Maybe it's a changing season. Maybe it's an in-between time, right? Maybe it's a time of the unknown. Maybe it's a time of praying and simply waiting. Maybe it's a time where things are bad, but you've seen worse. (laughs) It's not as bad as it was, and you remember, and you know, and you've You've tasted and you've seen the joy of God doing something really good or really great or really powerful in your life and you're just at a point where you're, God, could you do it again? Again, like a little kid. I have a prayer for you today. It's Psalm 126. Um, 
We know these psalms, but this one's a little different. This one comes at a different time. We know um, three times a year they were commanded to go. They could go more if they wanted. No rule against that. Uh, But if you're going up for the feast, you have prayers to pray, songs to sing with your fellow travelers on the way. But now today we come to a psalm that comes after exile. What do we mean by that? Well, if you follow the Old Testament along, you know that Israel blew it. And you say, blew it? Well, yeah, a lot, over and over again, until finally God was like, okay, um, you've really, really, really gone down the path. Um, so the, the north, they'd split up. The northern part went Assyrian. southern part hung around a little longer. The part where the temple was, Babylon comes in. Long story short, they wipe everything out. Everything. Jerusalem is demolished. The temple is demolished. No walls, no temple. As a matter of fact, they, they clean out the temple and they take everything out of the temple and take it with them. It's, it's, it's gone. And the prophets had said, you'll come back, but just go ahead when you're there in Babylon, just go ahead and plant your garden, raise your kids, pray for the peace of the city you're in until the day I bring you back. And the psalm is for people who came back. So you can imagine these words in the mouth of those people who came back. They came back in waves. If you've read Ezra and Nehemiah, you know the story. There was Zerubbabel who brought back a whole bunch, and then there was years later Ezra, and then years later Nehemiah, and they all did little pieces of work with time in between when the people kind of got tired of working, and the prophets would come along and say, hey guys, let's get in gear here you stopped working on the temple and you just kind of went and built your house and you got comfortable and, hey, 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 remember what we were doing here? Okay, let's get back to work, right? And, and then there was opposition. So you can, you can put this in their mouths and you can kind of feel it. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. So this is kind of a people who are living between times. Um, The Lord has brought back captives to Zion. So at some point, it's like a little over 40,000 people. And this is like a 900-mile trip. You know the logistics of putting a family of five in a car just to go to the beach. Imagine taking 40,000 on foot, 900 miles. <laughs> this is <laughs> logistics, y'all. And you're just traveling. And many of you have never seen the place you're going. You've only heard stories. Some of you may have a distant memory. Some got comfortable where they were and stayed. Some maybe were too old for the trip, and some were said, I don't care how old I am. I will make this trip. But some had a memory of maybe turning around and looking back and seeing a city demolished, a temple demolished, something that they thought could never happen. Our God would never let the place we worship him be wiped out. That's where we go to work. 
It was his idea. Why would he wipe out his place? And they remember this. They've heard the stories. So they know what they're going back to. And they know why it happened. It was on them. They had become idolaters. So it says, when the Lord brought the captives back, which is what they had been captives, he says it was like a dream. It was like, are we, can we believe our eyes? Are we really seeing what we're seeing? Now, and you know the stages of what happened, right? It was like, well, this is where the temple was. Well, let's just, let's just take an altar, let's build it, let's offer in a sacrifice. And it says the people wept. And yet it was like a, a weeping of what had been, and yet a weeping for what they, little they had, and yet a, a weeping for what could possibly be. But it was like, are we awake? And yet it, it says when the Lord brought us back. So they were giving credit where credit was due. The Lord had moved the heart of Cyrus in Babylon to, to let them come back. The Lord brought us back here, and it's desolate, it's, it's bad, but it's a start, and it's our home. When the Lord brought us back, it was like a dream, and our mouths were filled with laughter, <laughs> Our tongues are songs of joy. We're singing here. And it says, even the nations around us are looking at us and saying, look at their joy. Look at their laughter. Look at what they're accomplishing. The Lord has done great things for them. Now, you know the story. It's just part of the story. The other part of the story is, oh my goodness, the Lord is doing great things for them. We've got to stop this. Let's go harass them. Let's go fight them. You remember part of the story when Nehemiah came, they built the wall with a sword on one side. So just in case anybody showed up, they could put down their bricks and fight. And then put, <laughs> it was, this was rough work. They, like, they worked scared a lot. They worked discouraged. And at some point, the nations just gave credit where credit was due. And it even got to the point when the wall was built. There's this beautiful, beautiful scene where these choirs with these bands go on top of the walls. And one of them takes off singing and playing one direction around the wall. And one of them takes off the other direction singing around the wall. And there's just, just this loud shouting and singing. And all the people are inside and they're just like praising the Lord. Their mouths are filled with laughter and their songs are full of joy and they're just so loud and these bands are going around and they're just playing and playing and it says you can hear them for miles you could hear their joy so if you can imagine the nations around going do you hear that yeah that's those Jews that came back they just finished the wall Uh oh their Lord did that yep Yahweh did that the Lord has done great things for them. And they replied, yep, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. This is a response to the miraculous. God doing something that seemed impossible. Who would have ever thought they would come back, even though he had promised it? It's hard for us to fathom something that came from absolute desolation. And the nations saw it. The nations saw it and gave their God credit. Can you believe it? The nations didn't say, good leadership, good logistics, good planning, good vision, good preparation. May have been there, but that's not what they credited. 
their God has done great things for them. The, the nations saw the work of God and the nations saw their joy in the work of God and said, that's got to be God. The nations spoke of God-centered joy. The Lord has done the impossible. Their Lord has done the impossible. Let's stop for a moment. Um, how would this look? Just, just with the joy and the singing. Like, I have a friend that I've shared the gospel with for a long time. I'll come back to him in a minute. But um, the singing is the one thing that really freaks him out about church. He's like, you know, I'd love to come to church with you, but man, all those people in there singing, that just kind of weirds me out a little bit. I don't know what to think about that. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? We would just get together in a room and sing? Who does that? <laughs> we were captives. We were captives. We were set free. Of course we sing. God did the miraculous. But isn't it an amazing thing if our, if our singing in the face of God having done this, what if our singing, what if our joy, what if our laughter were a testimony to the nations? I'll ask a hard question. I, I, this really got me this week. I, just thinking about where they were. Have you ever, have you ever been in a, through a time in your life that was so dark and so difficult and then you found yourself laughing and you went, I can't remember the last time I laughed like that. You ever had that happen to you? I have. I have. And you go, wow, laughter. Thank you, God, for laughter. I haven't laughed like that in a while. That's God-given. That's God-given. <laughs> People around you go, wow. My friend's laughing. My dad's laughing. My mom's laughing. <laughs> my brother and my sister's laughing. The Lord has done great things for me. I get to laugh again. I get to sing again. If all you have is having been set free, having been forgiven, having been set free from the bondage and slavery of sin, if that's, if that's the simplest testimony you have, it is miraculous. It is 100% miraculous. The Lord has done it. You have reason to sing and laugh. And that singing and laughing and joy is a testimony to everybody you know. What are you singing about? Oh, you don't know what it used to be like. It doesn't look that good. Oh, you should see what it used to look like. It used to be worse. <laughs> All it is is an altar on the middle of a floor. It didn't used to be an altar. All it is is a wall around a scroungy little city. It didn't used to be a wall. 
It's just a little temple. I know what the temple used to look like. Yeah, but it's a temple. Right? I mean, (laughs) may not be much, but it's ours. And the Lord did it. I just just wonder if we stopped right there and just said, can you say it? Can you say it right now? We're in your seat. Can you just close your eyes and say, the Lord has done something great for me. And it's worth singing about. It's worth telling somebody about. The Lord has done something great for me. And I'll even laugh about it. I remember one of my students were sitting, a group of us at coffee. And um, she was like, sometimes I wish I hadn't been saved at seven. My story's so boring. I'm like, no, 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 no. Your parents prayed for a boring testimony. They begged God, give my kids boring testimonies. Yeah, right. <laughs> we all want our kids right, to have a boring story. I was like, no, we were in Ephesians, and it was like, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you used to live, and when you followed the ways of this world, right, we're going through this list. And I was like, that's still you. You're still a miracle. God raised you to life when you were seven. Sing about it. But I wonder then, if we move forward, there's, there's a couple of pictures here that he gives starting in verse 4. And, and I love that when I read it in the message this morning. Verse 4, it says, And now, God, do it again. Do it again. Sorry, I always think about Lion King and those hyenas. When they, do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then I mean, restore our fortunes, O Lord. So, God, you have brought us further than we've ever thought. We remember what it was. We see where we are. Are we asking too much to ask for more? Restore our fortunes, O Lord. And then the first picture, like streams in the Negev. Now, you can, you can very easily, after the service today, not during, get out a phone, pull up a map, and you can very simply just enter the word Negev. And it'll pull up someplace very, very brown for miles and miles and miles. You'll zoom out, you'll zoom out, you'll zoom out, and you'll finally see cities and towns that aren't brown, but it's brown for a long, long ways. And, but the cool thing about it is, and it's, it's south, south of Jerusalem. Um, if you've ever been there, it's a lot of brown. And, um, but then you zoom back in, and you can see where the streams are. And you know what's beside the streams? Green stuff. <laughs> Green stuff. And you'd have this rainy season where it would rain. And you know, we talked about how there's these mountains and these hills, and it would rain up in the hills, and there would be these waterfalls that would come down, and all this would come down, come down, come down. And then it would come through the desert, and just, these torrents you don't get caught in that mess, right? Just it comes down, and then it's, it's just green, and you could use that to irrigate and get that out there. Right? And wherever the water goes, green goes. And he's like, God, our lives are like a drought now. We're not denying what you did for us. You have done great things for us, but it's feeling kind of brown. Would you do it again? 
Would you do it again? Like streams in the Negev. Just make it rain up yonder. Bring the water here. They said yonder in Hebrew. Just do it. (laughs) Just restore us, Lord. Streams in the Negev. And then there's this picture um, in verse 5 and 6. A different sort of picture. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Sheaves of, of wheat. I think it was Jeff I saw this week at Coffee Place. I was reading this text and I was joking. My kids watched every episode of, of Little House on the Prairie like a thousand times. And they knew all the episodes to make fun of the right people and to cry at the right moments, the whole thing. But they had this one thing that they always laughed about is that every time the Ingalls went to church, they sang, bringing in the sheaves. Every time, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. Right, am I right? Every time the Ingalls went to church, this, it was like they had one song in their hymnal. And it's come, this is where it comes from. We will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. That was free right there. That was a little song for you. David, I can't believe we didn't sing it. Uh, <laughs> he's over there scheming. No, he's not scheming at all. Um, there's a lot of picture here. This, um, just imagine then, like Babylonians come in, they wipe everything out, and your field sits there for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Okay, so for those of you who take care of your yard, what if you left for 20 years? and came back and wanted to make your yard nice again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not going to be half a Saturday with a weed eater and a lawnmower. <laughs> that's, you're, you're not going to get through that with one recharge. That's, that's not happening. That's going to be labor. That's going to be calling in reinforcements. That's gonna be, you're going to just look at that with despair. So these people, when they came back, they looked at this land that it just sitting there, and they're like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to plow this land? How are we going to seed on this? How are we going to harvest for this? So when we went out, we went out with tears in our eyes. But when that harvest came, can you imagine the first harvest after captivity? Can you imagine what that was? Can you imagine the joy of the first harvest Harvest after captivity. We went out weeping with seed in our hands, and when we came, we came back with songs of joy, carrying, bringing in those sheaves. <laughs> Do it again, God. Would you get us there? Yeah, more of that, more of that, more of that. This is... Um, this is, this is a, a verse about hard work, isn't it? Like, oh, we came right back, we brought some seed, we went out and threw it around, and we just went home, and the next day, look at there, a crop. No, this is, this is a var- verse about weeping and hard work. Um, could the first one have ever imagined Ezra and Nehemiah and everything would come? Could they have imagined even Rome coming could they have imagined the silent years? Could they have imagined Herod coming and building them the most incredible temple ever seen? Could they imagine their Messiah coming to that temple? 
and turning over tables. Yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting, Lord, like streams in the negative, and like people sowing seeds, like the desert doesn't make itself green. The desert doesn't go, and green happens. The water comes, right? The seed doesn't make itself grow. Stuff happens to the seed. The primary prayer here is just one of a cre- increase, one of a, a greed. Water in dry places. Seed tearfully sown and grown. This is always an evangelism verse, isn't it? Because what do your brains go to immediately? Jesus telling a parable about a sower who went out to sow seed. None of us, I mean, some of us will go and go, I should be a more patient gardener. (laughs) We will, because gardening does require patience. Like you didn't get that tomato day one. Um, But if you want to sow in joy, excuse me, if you want to reap in joy, you have to sow in tears. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's perseverance. And if, if the seed is whatever good work, if the seed is indeed the word of God, if the seed is just planting into your life and into others' lives, and you just do it patiently, you do it with perseverance, you do it with weeping tears and prayer because you know what's at stake. He says, there will be a harvest. It's God's promise, not mine. I heard an interesting story this week. It was actually told by Beth Moore, who said that she and her husband were in Angola uh, feeding these poor children who were starving, their distended stomachs. And they were out there sharing the gospel and feeding starving children. And um, she said one of the pastors who was from some other place, and she said there was just death and frustration in all these villages where they went. And this pastor who was there helping feed these children, he said, um, he said, the most frustrating part of my work, he said, the most frustrating part of my work is that we teach these villages how to plant this wheat. We teach them how to, how to prepare the ground. We teach them how to prepare for the seed to get into the ground. And then we give them the seed and they eat it all instead of planting it. We can't get into their minds that if they'll plant it, they'll get a whole lot more seed than they planted in the first place. If you just plant it, be patient, irrigate, do everything we're telling you, I promise, just believe me, believe me, you'll get more than we're giving you. And they're just like, they're just keeping it all themselves. He said, it's the most frustrating thing, and we just, it just happens over and over. 
village after village. <sighs> so we are with the word. It's like, give me another meal. It's like, well, it's also seed for a sower. So we go out, we sow the seed, and we do it weeping with tears. And you reap a harvest, and then eventually you get to laugh. And it comes back full circle, and then you get to say, do it again, do it again, and then you sow some more, and then eventually you get a harvest, you go, yes, let's do that some more. I'm t- I'll tell you this, just this one story. I just mentioned this guy a minute ago. Shared the gospel with him for eight years. And just recently, I don't know how to say any other, I can't describe this any other way than to just say he got to a place in his life where he just absolutely surrendered his life to Jesus. He had no choice but to just surrender his life to Jesus. Eight years of talking to this guy about Jesus and he just surrendered his life to Jesus. Can I tell you something? For two, three weeks now, it's all he can talk about. And here's what he wants to talk about. It's actually kind of funny. It's not funny. It's beautiful. It's a, an obsessive person who couldn't stop working, and he worked so much he never slept. And now every time he sits down with me, he says, eight hours last night. You know why? Because God doesn't sleep. Me eight years. I was just sowing this guy's life for him to say, and then he's telling me all his stories from his culture. Yeah, there's a story of God asking Moses why he doesn't sleep. I'm like, where do you get these stories? Yeah, God, God, Moses says, hey God, how come you don't sleep? And God handed Moses, has anybody ever heard this story? I've never heard this story. God handed Moses a vase with water in it, and he says, Moses, hold this vase for me, and God goes somewhere else, and Moses is standing there holding a vase full of water. And then Moses eventually falls asleep and drops the vase and spills the water everywhere. And God says to Moses, that's why I don't sleep. I'm like, that's a cool story you got there, bro. He's reading it to me in Arabic and translating. I'm going, that's pretty cool. So yeah. And so then I tell him, well, listen to this, Colossians 1. Jesus Christ holds all things together. And he's like, oh, that's so good, right? So it's like all this sowing into hard ground. Suddenly the ground opens up and it's like, oh man, tell me more, tell me more. He can't get enough. And so I'm like, hey God, will you do it again? Because I've been sharing with that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that girl, that guy. I've been sharing with all these people. Do it again, do it again. I'm not being greedy, Lord. Like, if this is the only one, I'll be thankful. I'll weep. But, whew, do it again, do it again, right? Because I'm not just going to eat it. I want to eat it. It's good. But I want to share this stuff, right? <laughs> so, maybe we just need some rain. Maybe you're feeling deserty. I get very deserty at times. And I just kind of have to sit back and go. But this, we got to go back to the bigger context. Let me leave that for just a second. Because um, we always have to do this, right? Because we're not, we're not traveling to a city so much as we're walking with Jesus, and then he's going to bring a city to us. And that's the beautiful, beautiful promises in Scripture, right? That there's a river whose streams make land the city of God, and there's all these beautiful, we won't read them all, but there's a river that comes out of this new Jerusalem. It comes out of this throne. It goes down, it goes down, it goes down. And all the salty places become fresh. And everywhere the water goes, it's green and there's crops. It's just beautiful and all the nations come. (laughs) That's it. He turns the desert into pools of water, the parched ground into flowing springs. 
The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. I couldn't get over the word we kept singing today, forever, forever, forever. Listen to these words. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. I don't know what joy looks like on somebody's head, but that's just going to be cool. That dude's got a joyful head. (laughs) Just, right, just joyful head. They shall obtain joy and gladness. You ready? Sorrow and sighing. (sighs) Anybody do that a lot? (sighs) I do. Yeah. Sorrow and sighing, ready? Shall flee away. Sorrow and sighing is go- are going to look for a place to land and all it's going to find is joyful heads. <laughs> it's like it's going gonna, it's gonna to look for a head to land on and it's not going to find any. It's just going to just finally give up and leave. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins and he will make her deserts like Eden. Her wastelands like the garden of the Lord Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. <laughs> Man, I could read 20 verses from Joel. We, we won't, but it's coming. It's coming. It's like it all started in a garden, and then it's all going to like a city with gardens. Not sure how that's, that's just going to be amazing. It's going to be joy. It's going to be laughter. So we pray now. Lord, let's get a taste of your kingdom. May we be, will you pray with me, Lord? Lord, may we be um, a people who know what it is to be set free. A people who've been set free from sins, eternal punishment. Who've been set free from the rule of sin. Lord, may we be able to say in this room, there is no condemnation for me. Because God is my Father. Jesus has borne my sin. On that cross where his love ran red as we sang. My sin was washed white. But Lord, I pray that we'd be hungry, hungry for so much more. Lord, I'm guessing everybody in this room would probably have a much more kind of story. They'd be able to tell, yeah, there was this time God did this, and we laughed, and there was, he did this, and there was joy, and he did this, and we laughed. And there was only one, one way to describe it. God did it. And I pray, God, would we, would we be so bold as to say in Creekside Bible Church, would you do it again in our time right now? Lord, if, if, the, if there's people in this room who feel like parched ground, you be our river, Lord Jesus. I am the water of life. Those are your words, Jesus. Those are your words. Be water to us. Jesus, you're the bread of life. You're the water of life. Lord, thank you that your, your word is, is like seed and some of it we plant and we eat bread and some of it we take to the world and we scatter it. And I pray, God, we'd scatter it just faithfully and perseveringly. 
Would you do it again? Would you bring more people to Jesus and more people to Jesus and more people to Jesus? Make us faithful spreaders of seed. Bring people to Jesus, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us joy. And and Lord, we pray that as the community around looks at us, they would say these words, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Are we singing, bringing in the sheaves? We're not. Okay. (laughs) Y'all have a great week. Through the depths of the valley where the sun can't